Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, good morning to you. It's good to see you in person and to speak with you face to face. I think last time it was, uh, I was speaking into my telephone. And that's not a lot of fun. I just don't get pumped up to do that. Uh, it's so much better to interact with the smiles or the frowns or the people taking a nap in the back or something like that. It gives me clues about how I'm doing. <laughs> but anyway, I hope, that, I hope that worked out well for you. We've all had to make adjustments uh, according to our circumstances, haven't we? It's been a strange season of life, a strange year for all of us. I'm speaking from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you want to turn there. Seems I had the same conversation with the same um, uh, rental car agent as I did a few years ago. Uh, but they always ask you, what are you in town for? I don't know why. They always ask that. And I said, I'm preaching at a church. Oh, what are you preaching? I'm preaching from the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, what's that? As well, it's a book in the Old Testament. Oh, we believe in the Old Testament. I'm Greek Orthodox, she says. Um, in fact, my brother is heavily involved in the church. And I said, well, that's, that's good. She says, what's it about? I said, well, it's about uh, living life without God from a human perspective. And it raises a lot of questions and mysteries about life. And uh, it, it, it can be difficult to understand if you're not familiar with it. Okay, she said, well, I'll just let my brother cover. He, he kind of covers us all. Uh, I'll just follow him. And I said, well, that's not going to be quite enough if you stand before God. <laughs> He's not going to ask you what your brother believed. Uh, and and I uh, shared a gospel track with her uh, anyway. I uh, said, read this when you get time because it was very busy. And I'd been standing there an hour already anyway. So these things kind of happen. I want you to take a look at the newest book I just put out called Fishing for Life. There's a chapter in there about Florida with some people you know. And, um, and people have really enjoyed the stories there, even if you don't like fishing. And grab a newsletter. The latest newsletter tells us where I've been, where I'm going. Uh, also, they're out in the lobby out there. So we're in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5. And you remember from the book of Ecclesiastes that the author, Solomon, is looking at life from a human perspective, limited uh, strictly by what he can see. And so he talks about life under the sun. And his conclusion all through the book is that everything is vanity or meaningless or futile. Uh, the word kind of means uh, empty. Um, a puzzle. He just can't figure things out. And um, we might say that Ecclesiastes asks the questions that the rest of the Bible answers. But Ecclesiastes sometimes does not answer those questions, uh, except it, but in a vague way. Now, in chapter 5, uh, we're coming off of, uh, I'm going to start with verse 8, um, and chapter 4 talked about the futility of work, uh, having to work and, and work and work and work, you know, where does this get us? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, my last message online, was about the futility of careless words and warned us about uh, careless words and gave us some wisdom there. Um, today we're going to talk about being wise with your wealth from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. Um, We've heard a lot about health and pandemics 
and warnings. And I don't want to make your day any worse, but there is another affliction out there that you should be aware of. And uh, by the way, our resources are available there in our podcast. Um, it's called affluenza. Affluenza, which uh, we'll call a, an affluent lifestyle that can lead to materialism, greed, pride, and callousness. And many people test positive and children are very susceptible to it. Dave McKenna, as quoted by Randy Alcorn, says, Affluenza is a strange malady that affects the children of well-to-do parents. Though having everything money can buy, the children show all the symptoms of abject poverty, depression, anxiety, loss of meaning, and despair for the future. Affluenza accounts for an escape into alcohol, drugs, shoplifting, and suicide among children of the wealthy. It is most often found where parents are absent from the home and try to buy their children's love. We certainly have a generation of children. Each generation probably grows up with more prosperity than the previous generation. It was so exciting for me when my father said, let's go out to McDonald's and get a 23-cent hamburger. To me, that was a thrill because we rarely ate out. Today, you ask my grandchildren where they want to go for lunch after church, and it's Olive Garden, Red Lobster, or Chili's. Okay, parents are paying for that, not me. <laughs> Their standards are a little bit different. They've been influenced by this affluenza. Some children are actually spoiled, and the culture and the media around us doesn't help that at all with the ads, advertisements, and the fashions, and the peer pressure. But affluenza can destroy the spiritual life of a person when our eyes are focused on the wealth, things that we have and things that we don't have. And yet 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, I won't read the whole passage, but remember it says, don't love the world or the things in the world. And remember the warnings to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 about how it was a very prosperous church, and yet they had grown lukewarm spiritually. So one of the dangers of... Uh, of being prosperous, wealthy, is that we neglect our spiritual needs. We get our eyes off the Lord. A Romanian church leader who had suffered under communism spent a lot of time in the West, and he said, quote, 95% of believers who face the test of persecution pass it. 95% of those who face the test of prosperity fail it. So Solomon, we know, was the author of our book, and he's looking at life from a, from a human perspective, a horizontal view, and he, he looks around him, and he, it just doesn't make sense. It's meaningless. Vanity is the word often used. And he's just looking at life with a limited view. And we also know from Solomon that he was one of the richest men, if not maybe the richest man in history, as he's described in 1 Kings. Extremely wealthy, and so his words mean something. And uh, today we have, this is Solomon's perspective, but today we also have the perspective of like Jesus, who said uh, in Luke 12, 15, uh, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Or Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Well, these are more straightforward warnings, a little easier to understand, a little easier to preach, frankly. The book of Ecclesiastes is not always the easiest to understand, nor is it the easiest to preach, because it's set 
in the context of ancient wisdom literature, which often uses poetry and illustrations and analogies and a, a different way of thinking and approaching things. But I think we can understand King Solomon's message. The passage is going to break down like this, basically, into two parts, how affluenza can harm us and how to avoid affluenza. So let's look at verse 8 together. And we see there that uh, one of the effects it can have on us is we treat others as less important. He says it this way in verse 8, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter, for high official watches over high official, and high officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all, even the king is served from the field. That's, those are difficult passages even f uh, for me to understand as I studied this, but I think what he's saying is you look across the world and you do see a lot of poverty and oppression of the poor. Now, I've been around the world multiple times in many, many different countries, and uh, I don't need to tell you that the poor in, in these countries are poor because of the oppression of their, their politics and their leaders. Famine is not usually due to catastrophes or, or a crop destruction is usually due to politics and people on top skimming some off and people on top of them skimming off leader upon leader getting their cut of the crop or the cash or the even the welfare that the aid that we send over there everybody wants to skim it if you've ever tried to get something done in one of these developing nations or third world countries you find you have to go through this layer of bureaucracy and uh, where everybody gets a cut of something now i have a policy that i don't pay bribes but I know people who have had to just to get out of the situation. Sometimes it's not called a bribe, it's just called a fee. Well, I, I'll pay a fee, but I won't pay an outright bribe. But leader after leader after leader has learned to oppress those who are less powerful from them and get their cut of the wealth. Uh, and yet the land is there and, and it profits all. Even the king himself uh, gets is profited from the work of the common man. But the the point here is that these who are in power and a wealthy position can easily oppress the poor. There's a hierarchy of power uh, provided by wealth. The, the, the system of cronyism, the good old boy system, where people get in their friends and they, and they begin to exploit others for their own sake. And so he's saying, don't be shocked at oppression that you see at every level. And... Uh, Poor folks of a country or a region who are working hard, but uh, the government is able to take it away from them by oppression, by taxation, uh, by any kind of other exploitation. And so these poor countries have one dictator after another just come in and rape the country of its wealth, and the people are left in poverty. And that uh, cycle just repeats itself. Leadership is needed. We know that. Uh, but it has to be good leadership. It can be good, but so much of it in the world is corrupt. And the same can be true of us when we find ourselves in a wealthier, powerful position. It can cause us to forget what it's like to be poorer or oppressed. A doctor who struggles through medical school, scrapes his way through, uh, becomes, finds himself wealthy, and then he forgets what it's like to pay for a $75 office visit. Or is it 150 these days? I'm glad that Karen and I struggled through seminary um, at almost a subsistence level, school and seminary, uh, because uh, we did not go into debt. We did not take school loan. We paid it as we went. And uh, it reminds us 
of where we came from and how to use what we have now to help others and not take it for granted. It's a good experience to, to experience what it is like to be poor or in need. And then you can have more empathy for those who have needs today. So God created us to love people, not things. And we can easily treat others as less important when we get in a position of power or wealth. Now, the second point he's making about uh, this affluenza is that we're not satisfied with what we have. That's one of the dangers of it. He says in verse 10, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. You can't eat money. You can't eat silver. You can't eat gold. And when is enough enough? Because uh, this man who's gathered his wealth has never stopped to ask, how much is enough? Have you ever asked yourself that question? And so affluenza creates an unquenchable thirst, like some diseases like diabetes, uh, for example, creates a thirst in some. The house could always be bigger. The car could always be newer. Uh, more luxurious, the computer faster, the TV larger. Money buys comfort, it buys influence, uh, but it can't buy contentment. Do you ever find yourself saying, if only I had fill in the blank, I'd be happy. If only I had that new car. If only I had that uh, new boat. If only I, I had that uh, new zip code, I'd be happy. I don't know if you would, not if your eyes are on the things instead of on the Lord. So we're, one of the dangers of affluenza is we're just not satisfied with the things that we have because we have this desire for more and thinking it will make us happy. And then a third uh, problem is that we attract exploitation by having a great deal of wealth, prosperity. Verse 11 says, when goods increase, they who eat them increase. How about that? So what profit have the owners except, except to see them with their own eyes? So a person gathers a lot of wealth and his satisfaction is he can see it, but others are coming for it. They could be members of his family. They could be his lawyers. They could be his entourage. They could be uh, all different kinds of people, sales people. Money seems to attract, doesn't it? Wanting people wanting contributions for a political party or even a church. Money makes a lot of friends. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 4 says, Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. I wouldn't call them friends, I call them parasites. Parasites who want to live off of the wealth that others have accumulated. And you've seen it with uh Famous people, movie stars, sports stars, they, they travel with their entourage, and they're just parasites living off the wealth of the superstar. And when the superstar crashes, they disappear. Would they be around if they didn't have money? Would they truly prove themselves to be friends? So beware of affluenza because it can attract exploitation and false or phony friends. You know, another problem that uh, Solomon points out in verse 12 is that those who have great wealth sometimes can't rest. He says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. 
So here you have a man who has an honest job, honest living. He makes enough. He's getting by. He's not worried about things. He, he goes to work. He comes home tired and he gets a good night's sleep. But here's a man who has an abundance of wealth. And all he has to think about is not how to gain it, but how to lose it. And so he goes to bed at night worried about how to lose it because his mind and his attention is captured by the wealth that he has. That can be a problem in life. Henry Ford, after he became very wealthy, said, I was much happier doing a mechanic's job. So the one who's resting on his wealth has nothing to focus on except uh, for, except for the fact that he could lose it and therefore loses his sleep instead. I had uh, one preacher friend who was involved in the stock market, and he said, you know, I, got, I would get up first thing in the morning, and I would, I would check the stock market, and I would check it all day long. i just become obsessed with the ups and the downs of the stock market, and I, I, it just captured my attention to such a degree. He said, I finally just sold everything because I realized it was distracting me from my relationship to God and my ministry. Maybe a wise decision for him. So how much is peace of mind worth, you might ask yourself? Would that new job, that new position, that, that uh, promotion really bring you the peace of mind that we all want? Or would it just bring you more money to worry about? Then he goes on in verses 13 through 14 to show that uh, having a lot of wealth makes us vulnerable to sudden loss. Sudden loss. He says, there is a severe evil which I see under the sun. Again, from the human perspective, as he looks out there, riches are kept for their owner to his hurt. So the one who hoards can actually be hurt by that. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. So he can lose that wealth through some kind of misfortune, a disaster, a catastrophe, a, a Black Friday or Black October or a crash in the stock market, um, a health crisis, uh, a pandemic that puts so many people out of business. How true this is uh, for so many unfortunate individuals who've lost their businesses. And they, so their riches perish through misfortune. You've seen the interviews on TV of people crying and fretting over the business that they've, new business suddenly lost or a business they built over the years suddenly lost. It's heartbreaking to watch that, but it's a fact of life. It's an evil that we see under the sun as we look out there, especially in today's circumstances. And so even though he has a child, that child is born with nothing in his hand. I take it that that child is born with nothing to inherit from his father or parents. So he's born empty-handed. There's nothing to pass on to him. Proverbs 23, verse 4 through 5, again, wisdom literature adds to this, says, uh, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. I love that poetic language. Riches make themselves wings and can fly away like an eagle towards heaven. So misfortune can come. And if you have your eyes only on your wealth, then you're going to have a, a terrible side effect of affluenza. And we can't take it with us. 
Now, he just talked about this little baby that's born with nothing in his hand. He's born empty-handed, no wealth to inherit. But that, that follows through life to, to the grave, and we can't take it with us. And so a child that's born into this world, he reminds us in verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, naked he shall return. Uh, we're born with nothing and we leave with nothing. To go as he came and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just as exactly as he came, he shall go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? There's a certain futility in knowing that we're born with nothing. We work hard, we sacrifice, we train, we get an education, we work our way up the ladder to success, we accumulate things, and then when we die, we can't take a thing with us. You've heard about the ancient graves of uh, Egyptian pharaohs and Chinese kings that are buried with mass amounts of wealth, and we dig them up, and guess what we find? We find massive amounts of wealth, if it hasn't been looted already because they really couldn't take them with them. Their souls went on, but not, not their wealth. Again, a very, very rich man named John D. Rockefeller in the past, uh, after he died, his accountant was asked, how much did he leave? And his accountant said, all of it. And so will we. So affluenza blinds us to the temporary nature of wealth. And it's sad to see someone who dies and leaves their money. Uh, they can't, can't take it with them, but they leave it to fools or uh, uh, dysfunctional family or irresponsible family or even their cats. I remember reading an article. I forget what it, how much this lady left uh, a couple million dollars to her cats after she died. And they could maybe use it for good but probably will waste it in some way. Um, so uh, hold on to wealth lightly and use it widely. Don't hoard and build it up and find security in that. But our security should be in God himself. You can't take it with you. But Jesus did tell us we could send it ahead, didn't he? He said, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't get to it. Lay up treasures in heaven. Send it ahead. There's nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself. What is wrong, and what affluenza does, is get our eyes focused on wealth as an end in itself. And we build up treasures on earth while we're bankrupt in heaven. But thank God that I think even Ecclesiastes, we'll see more and more as we, we go into the book, especially at the end, it anticipates a future accounting in which we'll be held accountable for our lives. And that we know today from the New Testament perspective is called the judgment seat of Christ, where we will be rewarded for our faithfulness. Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven. I don't know what those treasures are. I don't really need to. If he says they're treasures and valuable, I'm just looking forward to it. And so we want to, we want to pay it forward to our eternal reward. Uh, final ef effect of affluenza is that uh, those who have it are just not happy. They find that wealth is not that fulfilling. He says of this man who is born with nothing and takes nothing to the grave, all his days he also eats in darkness and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. So 
this man who is focused ex- only on his wealth, it has a dark cloud over him all of his life, and it causes sorrow. Sorrow when he loses money, sorrow when he loses a lawsuit, sorrow when someone sues him, sorrow because he's never satisfied by his greed. And Solomon mentions sickness, maybe from stress or ulcers or high blood pressure. So much is caused by stress, we know. And anger, bitterness and resentment from others who are using him or exploiting him. It's a package deal when we don't have our eyes on the Lord and only on our wealth and can cause a lot of these dark issues. Another rich man named Andrew Carnegie in times past said, millionaires seldom smile. And when you think today of some of the extremely rich folks who have passed away, is they pass away as recluses, eccentric, hidden. Um, Howard Hughes comes to mind as an older figure, but we could name more modern ones. Read Steve Jobs' last words, uh, which is um, you can find easily by just Googling them and what he said about life and wealth. Uh, I don't know that he, he said them as a Christian, but he was close, and he realized the vanity of the wealth that he had accumulated. Steve Jobs is how you pronounce it. So wealth in itself does not make us happy. So how do we avoid affluenza and getting into that trap, into that attitude where we're just focused on, on, uh, on things? Uh, the first thing he says in verse 18 is that we should see our work as a gift from God. It, it's a gift from God that provides for our needs, but it's so much more than that. We can find enjoyment in it. He says, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him for it is his heritage. Now, Solomon is saying, hey, it's good to enjoy life. It's good to find satisfaction in what God has given us, especially what he's given us to do. Work is not a curse. Work should be looked at as a gift from God. It doesn't mean that you'll always enjoy every job that you have, but you'll certainly enjoy the benefit of and the uh, dignity of doing something, the dignity of a paycheck, and the satisfaction of uh, doing something that meets your needs or the needs of your family. And so in that sense, it is good, and you can enjoy it. And uh, enjoy it all the days of your life, which you toil under the sun. Again, um, just life on the human level. And he recognizes it here as God's gift. Enjoy the experience of life as we travel down the path. Don't always look for the greener grass. It's just as hard to mow sometimes. Uh, Not that we don't look for good opportunities, of course. We look for advancement. We look for opportunities sometimes. But don't think that happiness lies there. Happiness is learning to enjoy your present status where you are. Then he goes on in verse 19 and 20 as we conclude. See your wealth also as a gift from God. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given that him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly in the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Now he talks here about every man to whom God has given riches and wealth. And someone might say, hey, wait a minute, God didn't give me this. I worked hard for this. 
Well, our perspective may be a little bit off. Like in Deuteronomy, where uh, Moses warns the Jewish people, when you get into Israel and you prosper and your cattle are growing and your crops are going, remember it is, and you grow wealthy, remember it is God who gives you the power to gain wealth. Isn't that true? He puts you in a country that allows you to gain wealth. He gives you a political system that allows you to gain wealth. He gives you the skills, abilities, the aptitudes, the personality, the training to gain wealth. And so you're just there to work and to work out what God has allowed you to to do in your circumstances and to give you uh, and to work out his gifts that he's given to you. So wealth is not condemned uh, by King Solomon in his wisdom. He's just simply saying, don't try to find your satisfaction there. Just look at your work. Look at your circumstances as a gift from God. And then you'll be like a man who not wasting his days or whiling away his days, but you'll be busy with the joy of your heart. Keep busy and enjoy life. Don't fret over its brevity uh, and its difficulties. Have a happy heart. Have you learned to find enjoyment in your work and in your life and in your status and your wealth? Uh, It is a gift from God. If you've traveled other, other places in the world, you'll find how lucky, how gifted we are to live in this country and to earn what we do, not, not for the purpose of hoarding, but for the purpose of passing it on to others. Well, what do we conclude from this? Well, affluenza is a powerful and contagious affliction. It influences people easily. They have nothing else to live for. They have, God is not in the picture. God is not in their life. So if God is not in your life, eat, drink, make a lot of money, for tomorrow we die. And that worldview controls a lot of people in our world today. It doesn't make the world a very pretty place. It's a powerful and contagious affliction. And the best preventative is a biblical mindset. A biblical mindset that sees wealth not as an end in itself, but a blessing from God given to us as a gift to enjoy. And we can learn to be content in whatever circumstances we're in. That's echoing Philippians 4.11, which Paul, where Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment is something Paul learned when he prospered or when he was sitting in it. He wrote that from a jail cell. We, ha- we learn to be content with what we have. Now, here we are. A virus has locked us into a jail cell of sorts, hasn't it? We're quite restricted in what we can do. We're locked down to a certain degree. Um, uh, are you content? You maybe are here today and you've lost your business. You lost part of your income. Uh, It's difficult, but can you see God in it? Are you content to trust God with your needs? Learn whatever state we're in. It's not talking about Florida and Texas. Whatever condition you're in, to be content. How do we do that? By seeking Christ's kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God's got the future. Trust him with it. Seek Jesus Christ first, 
and the material things that we need to live, if it's an, even if it's an accumulation of wealth, will be his blessing added to it. Let's keep Jesus Christ as our focus, not the things of this world that will perish someday. We can't take them with, them, with us, but he will always be with us. And he's prepared a place for us. Isn't that great? Well, Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that makes life meaningful and answers the questions that are raised in a passage like this. And uh, we're so grateful for him uh, to give meaning to life that goes way beyond the things of this world. And so help us always to focus on him and the riches that we have in Jesus Christ stored up in heaven for us, which can never be lost. And help us in this world to lay up our treasures in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.